All right, everybody. Welcome to episode number 42. Episode 42, Sports Cards Live. I see my guest in the background smirking away, Justin. All right. So before we get started and bring out tonight's guests, I want to do like I always do. We're going to thank the last few we've had. Last Wednesday, episode number 40, we had Rich Klein. You know, he's a hobby veteran. He's seen it all. He's been everywhere. He was an awesome guest. We had a great conversation. Want to thank Rich for coming on last Wednesday. That was episode number 40. This past Saturday, episode number 41 was Justin Kramer. Another great conversation. He's a guy who does he has a consignment business. He's kind of a, uh, as he says, a kind of full service uh, consignment seller. He'll take your collection from you and uh, and move it for you to the you know, to the best of his ability, make sure you get the most money for your collection if you are moving along. And uh, just a, a great discussion we had. So check that out. All the old episodes are archived on the YouTube channel for Sports Cards Live. So please check them out. I will warn you, they are all long. These episodes go for like two hours, longer than almost anybody else doing sports card YouTube videos. So I encourage you to check them out, but, you know, pick the ones you want to watch and watch them in chunks because, like I said, they're long and YouTube will always remember where you left off. So you can always come back and watch them in parts here and there. We also had on After Hours Saturday Late Night Show, 15-year-old vintage collector Charles Hind. And what an amazing what an, an amazing show that was. We had a great conversation. Uh, the feedback I got after was, it was awesome. Everyone was really impressed with this young man. Truly an outstanding guy and, uh, and and evidence that this hobby is in good hands as we move forward. Want to let you guys know this coming Saturday for the Sports Cards Live episode, the guest is to be determined still. I'm still working on that. But after hours, I have a, a real passionate collector named Brian Palmer who's going to be joining me. So we're going to be just chilling out, hanging out and talking a hobby late night on Saturday. And then next Wednesday, my guest will be Stephen LaRoche. He's a uh, former Beckett editor, and he's written cardbacks for several card companies, and just a guy who really knows the ins and outs of the hobby, and will have a ton of interesting information to share. So, want to thank everybody for joining us. If you are new to Sports Cards Live, and if you're new because you tuned in to see the Urschel brothers here, I want to thank them for bringing you to the show. And if you don't mind subscribing to the YouTube channel, I'd greatly appreciate that. Just about to hit a thousand and fifty subscribers, which is pretty cool. The March to 2000, who knows when that'll happen, hopefully by the end of the year. Your comments, your questions tonight, they're in play. If you have anything you want to ask or comment on, put it in the comments. We will get to them, just about all of them. Keep it clean. I know you will. Oh, you always do. So thank you for that. And uh, that's it. You can leave comments on the video. If you hit the thumbs up, I always forget to ask people to do this. Hit the thumbs up on the video on YouTube. That seems to help the YouTube algorithm. I don't even know what that means, but apparently it's good for the channel. So appreciate if you do that. All right, let's bring our, out our guests tonight. We have two guests tonight. These guys are their brothers. Let's bring them out. Justin and Adam Urschel, my guys, welcome to episode 42 of Sports Cards Live. How you how you guys doing tonight? Doing, doing well, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. And I, I hear the thousand subscriber mark. Congratulations. We've been there from the start and uh, you do an awesome job. And I, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to listen to your hobby advice because we do as well. So congrats. Th thanks, Justin. I appreciate I appreciate that. That's uh and it's nice to know you've been you've been watching since the beginning. I, you've been in the in the viewership before, you've made comments. I always appreciate it. And I know that you guys like we talked about you guys coming on months ago, 
months ago, but you were waiting to land a few more pieces. You wanted to be able to have a nice display behind you. So we didn't like you, we chatted about it. And then what, like two months went by and I thought, and I thought to myself, Oh, I wonder, wonder what's going on with these guys. So I think I reached back out to you or you reached out to me, whatever it was. And you said, all right, we're ready. So we scheduled it and, and here we are. So it's, it's good to finally have you guys before we jump into all the topics, and we've got a good range of topics for tonight, everybody. This is gonna be an interesting discussion. Let's just say hello to all the viewers we have, as I like to do. It really makes it a, an intimate sort of setting here. We got we got card currency in the house. Howdy all, excited for, excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Jason Pringle, my man, welcome to the show. Uh, anonymous Facebook user, go abs go. I, someone let us know what the score is. I'd love to know. Card collector, young man, welcome to the show. Legion, welcome to the show. Ziggy No, welcome as always, guys. Check out Ziggy's channel on YouTube. It's called Ziggy No, just like his name right there. Does daily updates. He covers a lot of material. I highly recommend his channel. Check it out. Ernie Rondo, welcome to the show. My man, Ralphie, welcome to you too. Charles, this is Charles, who was with me on late night on Saturday night. Charles is an outstanding young man. Charles, welcome as always. Grant Patterson, welcome to the show. He says, I enjoyed getting my last, I enjoyed getting my last monumental. Well, you're gonna have to sell it to these guys, uh, Grant. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to the show. Ralph says, Justin and Adam, very nice monumental display. Is there a yeah? I told you guys, people are gonna want to know if their favorite player has a card behind you. And here it is already, Ralphie. I do believe they have a Jagger. Let's keep running through. Jeff McMahon, good evening to you. Thank you, 2-1-Abs. Tim Marin, welcome to you. Whoa, are these guys Sabres fans? Love the logo behind them. Yeah, these guys live in Buffalo, and they I think you guys are Sabres fans. Well, you obviously are Sabres fans, right? Yeah, yeah. Dominic, yeah. La sorry, here we go. Dominic LaRouche, welcome to the show. And Matt14K, good evening. Shooting the, shooting the poop once again. Here we go. Paul Cashman, as always. Yes, thank you, Paul. If anybody is uh, coming up as an anonymous Facebook user like this uh, this person right here, please go to streamyard.com slash Facebook. It's on the ticker right now. Click that big blue button and I'll be able to recognize you and it'll just make for a more uh, intimate discussion and hangout. Charles loves the background, as do I. Courtney Farr, welcome to the show. And is that, ah, here we go, Charles. Is that a custom, is that a custom display, guys? Yes, it is. Yeah, the uh, cards are held up magnetically. There's strips of metal on the background, so that's it's it's custom specifically for this show. So is it like Velcro or is it tape? What's what, is it? Or just magnets? No, they're they're just magnets. So okay. the the magnets are taped on the back of the one touches. Got it. Very cool. Okay, guys, everybody, welcome. Thanks for all your comments. Appreciate it. Let's jump right in, my guys. Okay. First of all, we always like to explain to the viewers how you came to come on the show. I kind of went through it before, but how did we reach out to each other in the first place? Why don't you tell, take us through your recollection, Justin, sort of how we got to, to here. So uh, I, I met Jeremy at the show and uh, in Toronto. So the Toronto Expo has been the meeting point for, uh, for us uh, specifically. And further than that, you had some cards that I basically traced that, <laughs> that we really wanted and they ended up in your showcase. So that's where we uh, got to enjoy the same type of caliber of cards. And I, I think I bought everything except for a Corey Perry off of you, <laughs> if I remember correctly. I think so too. And I, I yeah, because I, I had picked up like, uh, I bought a collection from a friend of mine and he was, he had a bunch of them, but he decided to get out 
and uh, and I picked up a bunch and sold uh, several of them to you, and then I ended up moving to Corey Perry later on. But yeah, you got you came in, and uh, actually, the the friend that we're talking about is my my buddy Todd, who is my guest on episode number four, which seems like a lifetime ago, considering this is episode forty two. But uh, Todd's a, a a very you know a respected collector in the hobby. And uh, so it's funny because you said to me the other day, Justin, you said, you said, I met you through Todd, but I've never even met Todd in person yet. Yet you and I, we've met in person at the expo several times. Adam's been to the, I've met Adam with you at the expo as well. And uh, you've yet to meet Todd, which is, uh, but I did call him before tonight and said, Hey, guess who's coming on the show tonight? Make sure you tune in. And he's got a big weekend coming up. So I'm not sure uh, how much time he'll be able to put into tonight watching, but I'm sure he'll catch it in repeats later on. So, but yeah, and I thought, you know, you, you reached out and you said, Hey, I love what you're, what you're doing. Um, you know, I got these great, this great monumental collection. Would you like, would you be interested in having us, uh, us on? And I said, yeah, I think that would be pretty awesome actually, because what a, what a wicked opportunity to kind of like present this collection or, or, you know, provide the platform for you guys to pre present the collection, but not only kind of show what you're doing, but also describe all the ins and outs about it. So, Pretty cool. I'm glad you're here. It's a nice sort of collector's perspective type of episode. So why don't you tell us a bit about your history in the hobby, both of you guys, and like how did this all start? What how did uh, what what brought you to this monster horde of monumental patches? And I also want to know what were you collecting before you decided to get right into monumentals? So I guess I'll start off the story of how it actually developed. I, we've been collecting, you know, we were in the 90s, I guess you call it the junk wax era and everything. So we we stepped away from the hobby for quite a bit. And then him and I both went to college together at Mercyhurst University and it happens to be in Erie, Pennsylvania. Well, little, little did we know the Erie Otters play there and they happen to have Connor McDavid at the time. So one of our friends at the school says, hey, guys, you got to come check out this kid. He's going to be number one overall draft pick. And, you know, you hear that a lot from people. You're like, OK, he's good. So my brother was the first one to go. Justin was the first to go to a game and he came home and I remember his face telling me and he goes, you have to see this kid play like there was no question about it. This this kid was going number one overall. So. Then I went to the game and within 30 seconds, you could tell that that kid was was bound for number one. And beyond that, he was going to be a superstar. First thing we did was say, I want to get back into cards. Really, like just seeing Connor McDavid play, your mind went to cards. It's like, OK, this guy must have cards coming out. We probably want to get some of them. Is that kind of like that was the, the direct reference in your head? Yeah. Yeah, that was the direct reference, but little did we know we've been out of the card game so long that that uh, everybody goes, well, the true rookie card, like the, the best one comes out of the cup. And we get to the store and they're like, it's like $650 a box. And him and I look at each other and go, "What? wait, what? <laughs> like, what did we miss in, in card collecting? And... We obviously didn't start at that level, so we started with uh, Series 1, Series 2, and then eventually made our way up. But still, uh, it's hard to justify some of those prices, but that's really what happened. And then we walked in to buy boxes for 15-16, which was McDavid's rookie year, 
and we walked out with a three box case of the cup. And, <laughs> and that was a laughable moment that we're like, did we just spend that money on a three box case of the cup? And what did you do? And the first box that we pull, we pull a 101 printing plate uh, autographed by Connor McDavid. And everybody's telling us, like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, well, maybe a stroke of beginner's luck. And from there, from there, we were hooked on on cards. Right, right. Okay. Well, and, and that's all it takes sometimes is uh, a big hit from your first box. It's like right. You know, it, it's the, the, the card, the hobby, the industry is very fortunate when a first timer pulls a card like that. And all of a sudden they're, they're a lifer. You know, you, you just, you convert, right. You convert from that one gamble to I'm in this full time nonstop and, and look at you now, right. It, it's evident right. that it happens. Right. So Tim says that love to see some Buffalo collectors, East Amherst guy here, howdy neighbors. And, you know, so you guys are from Buffalo. So which is the, when you talk about going to the card shop, what card shop do you guys go to? So Dave and Adams in Buffalo, it's right around the corner from us. It's about 20 minutes. And it's actually the first show we ever went to was they had a local, you know, card collector show. And from the moment we went, we were like, this is the experience we love. I mean, everybody spoke the same language there. And I think that was the most important part is we all speak cards. Right, right. For sure. For sure. I want to thank you. Hello, hello, East Amherst. We're from East Amherst. So there you go. I want to thank you, Will. And thank you, Sue Capone Herschel for updating me on the score. Uh, Rantanen from, from McKinnon. That's great because I have both in my daily fantasy today. So I'm happy to hear that. Thank you, everybody. Facebook user, good evening to you. If you haven't yet, I'll put it up again. Uh, you can go to streamyard.com slash Facebook. Click that big blue button. Paul says that Connor has that effect. Yeah, he, you pull a Connor, you have that effect. Greg, welcome to the show. Uh, Charles wants to know, wow, what was it like getting back into the hobby after the 90s? Uh, one of you, speak to that for a minute or so, if you don't mind. So the whole landscape pretty much changed. And when we started pulling packs again, we were like, wow, like they've really revamped the boxes and done a really good job of, uh, and I guess specifically we've collected upper deck cards from hockey because we're not really big basketball or, or baseball fans. And upper deck always does a really nice job of keeping the photos really cool on the cards. And obviously we've collected patches, but you know, that's a whole different level, but they do patches and the photographs really well on the cards and the overall experience of pulling packs now, I think is, is totally better than when we were pulling packs back then. Yeah, for sure. No, no doubt. The hobbies come out such a far way. Go ahead. Yeah. So I think the, the very first uh, game use piece that they did for Michael Jordan was in 97 so after that, I mean, cards just began to rapidly change True. You know, to what they are today. I We didn't expect to pull a jersey card, let's say, when we first started and uh, opened an artifacts patch. And I, I can actually remember getting a coacher patch and it's like, wow, you're actually giving these kind of patch cards out in this this set. That's that was cool to us. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. OK, so there you go, Charles. Uh, we have joining us Billy Celio. Billy is a product manager at Upper Deck. Billy actually is the one who product manages the cup every year. So he he's very happy to hear it. And 
Uh, he says, I'm glad there's people collecting great cards like the Monumentals. I'm tired of listening to people talking my ear off about shiny stuff. Guilty as charged, Billy. You know, we have that conversation on the regular, you and I. So, but yeah, it certainly is. The You know, these guys, we chatted last night and they, I forget which one of you said something about Monumentals, but uh, it, you basically said like you got, in the mo for the most part, you got game use patches and autographs and they're they're monumental in stature and in importance. And it's kind of that's as close as you can get to the game. So I guess thanks to Billy for even making these things uh, year over year, right? Here's a Mitchell yeah. says these guys own the fewer monumental I've been trying to track down for the last five years. These guys have a lot. These guys have a lot of cards that a lot of you guys out there and uh, and all of us collectors covet for our own collections. Before we went on live. Justin showed me the Mark Shifley, which I'm not really collecting Shifley anymore. We said, yeah, you were because you showed it to me at the expo, I think. And you said, this is the one you were mad at us about. And I'm like, yeah. well, I would have liked to have had it back then. Now I'm glad I'm glad you guys do uh, very, very quickly, because Jason is such an awesome uh, viewer of the show. He wants to know your take on Casey Middlestat since you guys are in Buffalo. Any any uh, hot takes on him as a player? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely in on I guess the up and comers. I like to research everybody that's coming up. And Middlestat's an interesting case just because like let's look at someone like uh, Nylander in Buffalo. I mean, he was starting on the Chicago Blackhawks and scoring goals in the playoffs. I think Buffalo absolutely mishandles its talent for for development. Yeah, fair. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. And he doesn't have a monumental, so. Uh... It, it's it's tough to collect when when they don't have a monumental <laughs> for sure for sure greg says i'm getting into cards a little bit after the last after hours no investments yet but i'm into watching your streams now and we'll see where i end up that's awesome greg greg tuned in to watch his buddy charles uh late night on saturday a couple of youngsters in the hobby so we want to continue to have these guys join the hobby and uh really welcome them into it because again that's what the, that's all about the future right um okay so oh, Pat Thompson says, no wonder I can't find a Patrick Wall monumental. And we're, these guys have a special story about uh, Patrick Wall monumentals. Before we get into that, guys, let's move on. Tell us, before you focused on monumentals, were you focused in your collection? Like, were you just busting packs all the time? Or were you starting to buy on the secondary market and, and, and kind of like target specific singles that you were interested in? What were you collecting before the turn and the, the committed and turn that you took to, to monumentals? So we, we started with Upper Deck Series 1, and at that point, we didn't even know Young Guns were like the card that you wanted to pull out of Series 1. That's how like far out of the hobby that we were, and we just uh, were not really sellers as soon as we pulled the box. So then we just started gathering cards, and then before you know it, you have a, a desk full of hundreds if not thousands of cards and we worked our way up we did the upper deck series one we did artifacts we did some ultimate made our way to premiere which was more of our type because we're looking for some of the game used patches and i think they're just sweet um the logo yeah. the logo cards and and obviously putting them together is is a huge accomplishment and then we then we made our way onto the cup and we had to pull probably, I don't know, we pulled six to 10 boxes and probably got lucky at that point to pull a, a Daniel Sprong 
monumental. It was the skate for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We ended up selling that to a guy who already had four out of the six. So him and I were like, all right, we're yielding. Like this guy has four out of the six. Why would I keep it from another collector at this point? So we ended up selling it. But when we pulled that card and peeled open the booklet, we were like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even know they made cards like this and the technology even on the cards had changed. And then from there on out, we took everything in our stacks, consolidated by team or player, and I contacted local dealers. I contacted local people that that knew us. Uh, we didn't really use Facebook groups at that point. And then we we sold everything and we said, all right, we're collecting these cards from here on out. And then from there, uh, that's what you're looking at. We never looked back and it's been a really awesome challenge and exciting time of collecting for sure. So I, I can tell just by talking to you guys, I mean, we hung out last night for a good hour and a half, just, you right. know, discussing things and getting a good feel for what we were going to talk about tonight. And you got, you guys love the stuff. Like it's, it's, it's obvious. It, it, you just exude passion for it. I love it. So on the same line of discussion, tell us a little bit about the day you decided, like the day you decided what you meant. I don't know if I, if I want to like, kind of spoil it, but you said there was the, you you both recalled specifically the day you made that decision to, to flip. And it had, I think it had to do with landing one specific card. Is that the story that you can tell? So yeah, that goes in line with the, uh, the Daniel Sprong is like, we had pulled several cases at that point and, you know, the cards were were wow you know they were unbelievable but the second that we pulled one of those booklets i had no idea they were even in the checklist and him and i literally looked at each other and we're like this is it like you know you both just looked at true love of basically this card is is what we're after what 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 about the mcdavid oil drop patch talk about that because you made a comment to me last night that kind of everything kind of changed when you managed to, to acquire that card which i believe you acquired that card from Todd, if I, if I'm not mistaken, we, we did. And there was, it's like a second turning point, right? We decided we were going to go after monumental patches at that point. And then immediately, where are you looking in, in, at the year 1516, you're like, okay, McDavid has a full oil drop. Like that's what we're looking for. And <laughs> of course we, we set our sights on it. And we had picked up probably like seven or eight monumentals before then. And then we met, uh, we met Todd and I actually, we actually bought probably four or five off of him. And then he goes, Hey, I do have this. And then I remember like, I, I, I play baseball over the summers and I, I had to pull out my phone and, and text Adam. I was just like, Hey, I found it. <laughs> and we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to buy this card basically, and it wasn't for sale at the time, but then over time uh, that it became available when we picked up that card, um, and basically our mode of uh, our motivation was you got to go after some of the hardest stuff first, or else it may be out of your reach one day. 
and it was still close to out of our reach. Let's say it, it probably was out of our reach, but, uh, but once you, once we got that card, it was like, well, now we're, we're set collectors because most of the time people sell sets. They're like, okay, minus Crosby, Ovechkin or McDavid. And I think it devalues the set all in general when you don't have one of the guys that is supposed to be in that set. So once we tackled that, that card, that's when we were like, okay, from here on out, like this is, this is really fun from here on out. Right. This is, this is it. Now that you get the big piece or pieces, cause I'm guessing he, he told you he had the McDavid and it became available and then you probably, if I remember, because I've, you know, I've seen these cards, he had a couple of other big ones. You, you likely acquired three or four from him uh, uh, together with the McDavid, right? So, and they were scrubs. I'm guessing there might've been a Matthews in there. There might've been some other big cards along with that McDavid at that time, right? So once Todd you get- Yeah, Todd does not not carry uh, scrub cards, let's say that. And and once once you get those big pieces, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, now it solidifies what we're doing here. It solidifies that we're doing this set. Let's move on. And now we can round it out and complement those key centerpieces. Because every every big collection like this needs its centerpieces, right? And a collection like that, I'm just looking behind you. I see, I see it's like every card up there has the potential to be a centerpiece in, say, someone else's player collection. But because you're doing monumentals, it's like, oh, the cream rises to the top, right? So... Here's a Billy makes a great comedy says, so is there a realistic name you'd like to see have a monumental that hasn't had one yet? I might know a guy. So here's your chance to request what you might want to see. Please. So this would be a name that I guess nobody would expect, but John Scott. I, I just, he's such an icon for me, especially in Buffalo. You know, he has his podcast and everything. And I think if they even did an all-star patch for him, it would be incredible because I loved following the story about what fans are capable of doing for a player that protected all the superstars his entire career. You know, we don't just value superstars. I, I What's behind us, you will find all 31 NHL teams up there plus all-star patches. It's not just about the superstars, but what have you done for the game? Right. That's cool. That's a good approach. And you want that rounded out collection too. I mean, I hear it's so cool that you have a, a card from every team that, that makes the collect. You can almost say that makes the collection complete, even though there's no completing this, you'll be doing this forever. As long as you guys have the stamina to keep going. Right. right. Want to welcome my boy, Richie Barone to the show. He's a fellow, uh, New Yorker, if I can use the state as a mm-hmm. as a, a place where you guys are from. What's up, my brother? What's up, my brother, Richie? I guess Tom Seaver passed away today. Yeah. That, there's a Hall of Fame pitcher. I didn't hear that until right now. That's uh, yeah. that's sad to hear. I have his rookie card, um, which is always nice to have a rookie card of a, of, a, of a legend who has passed on. Gives you that connection. Sorry to hear that. Uh, before we go on and get into a bit more detail, like getting into some detail about monumentals and how you guys feel about them, Card Currency says, are you guys buying cards to hold long-term together and sell as retirement protection, holding for the personal collection to never let go, or buy and sell in a quick manner? Now, before you guys answer that, I'll just say that we are we do have that on our agenda to discuss a little bit later, Card Currency. So maybe we'll come back to that one, all right? Because I don't want to kind of jump too ahead and then I'll get all unorganized in my head. So let's come back to that. 
And let's jump in and talk about kind of focusing more just on the monumentals themselves. Like how many of you guys pulled? I'm curious. You two. pulled two that you because you pulled the sprung, but you sold it. Yep. Two since the sprung or one since the sprung? No, one since the sprung. Which so one? Out of uh like an embarrassing 35 boxes of the cup, we've pulled two monumentals. And what was the other one? The other one was a Dylan Larkin. It makes up part of the Detroit wheel that's sitting up behind us. Okay, that's cool. And how many are in your collection total? Because back behind you, I did some math earlier. I figured you had about 75 behind you. How many do you have in the total collection today, along with any that might be incoming? So there's 78 total on the wall behind us, and there's 119 total in our collection, including one on the way in the mail right now. 119, 119 monumentals. I mean, you know, I don't, we're not going to get into money talk here, but if you, if you just do the math, they, there's an, that, that's a significant investment. And we're going to talk a bit about investing versus collecting a little bit later. Um, I want you to, to educate us a bit on these things. Have you ever come across any fake monumentals out there? Yes. Um, we haven't personally come across one, but one was auctioning. Uh, and him and I definitely consulted over it. And I know Upper Deck doesn't do uh, game-used rookies anymore. And it wasn't even to the correct serial number. And we had messaged the auction house over it. And we're like, you know, it was, it was up over $500, Jeremy, like people, people really were fooled by it. And we're holding, I don't know, probably 30 at the time. I, I maybe, maybe 30. And we were like, well, this, this doesn't seem right. And it was out of two. And we're like, they don't do them out of two. Uh, right. well, they, they didn't in, uh, 1617 and it was an Austin Matthews and it was it was the number three and they probably, you know, made it look like it was a number three and a number four for his Jersey number for monumentals. And we had messaged and asked like, what's the deal with the card? Like, is it, is it truly game used? Like what was going on with it? And the autograph was black on it. And the autographs in that year did not come in black. They were in blue. And we had asked, and then uh, two days later, that it was pulled from the auction, and never to be seen again. But they had messaged us back, which was great, and said like it was a counterfeit item, and it was no longer part of an auction, which right. was which was great of them to to message us back with. But at the same time, you know, it was up over five hundred dollars. Like if if it was if it was actually counterfeit and they sold it like you're going to get smoked on that yeah someone someone could have got taken for a ride there so it's you know the right. point of that the point of that discussion is for everybody watching is it's so important if you're going to be you know you you need to educate yourself in these in these cards before you go buying a lot of them especially ones that are you know that that may be prone to having counterfeits or patch swapping or that kind of thing right it's good to and that's what the community is is so good about um, because people are always willing to help each other and share knowledge. And that's one of the, one of the best parts about, about the hobby. And we'll, we'll talk more about that, but you mentioned something the other day to me, you know, that when you're, when you're pursuing a project like this, you kind of want to do it under the radar because otherwise people are going to hold the cards hostage on you. 
they'll know that, hey, there's these guys doing them. They want them. So even coming on the show tonight is a bit of a risk for you guys. I mean, some people know about you. They know that you're doing this. But kind of outing yourselves as the monumental guys, that's all you collect. You have to be prepared now that, right? I mean, people may use that against you a little bit. Tell us a little about how you, how you, you know, up until now, how you kind of stayed under the radar, kind of were going kind of covert in that to, uh, to, to, to be able to not expose yourselves and have to pay more money for cards and not have them held hostage from you. Just to make a quick comment on that, it's it's definitely, uh, I guess, put on the radar after tonight, even Grant saying, like, there goes picking up monumentals because, you know, they are one of ones, a lot of them, and, you know, you only get one of them, so it gets a little more competitive after they know what you've done with them. Yeah, for sure. Anything from you, Justin, on, on going covert and even the name of your Twitter account? <laughs> so, it we believe it or not as many as we do have we do have an out price where we're like we're just we we're out at that price and i'm sure everybody has an out at that price no matter what card it is and not everybody has a a disposable income to go on it this has been a project over 7 years and and it's it's budgeted accordingly. Although you know sometimes it doesn't go according to budget. As long as uh, nice cards are coming available, uh, which is not all the time, uh, you know you just we've treated everybody with kindness, and we usually throw a legitimate offer. Um, we're not shill bidders. We're not. Uh, we don't just try and lowball people on offers. If if you want the card we pay for the card basically and understand that about the hobby for sure. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta pay up for nice cards. I think that's just especially desire, you know, highly sought after desirable card than rare ones like monumentals being out of one or out of three type of thing, Adam. So to expand on the, I guess, Twitter name of Kaiser. So say is uh, we both love the movie, the usual suspects. So there's a character in there that until the end of the movie, you don't know who he actually is. So up until this point, there's only been a couple people that I guess would know we exist because, you know, you start to show what, even if you have 20 of them at the time, we haven't met anybody with 20 monumentals. So things change when you come across someone like that. Yeah. And if you do come across someone like that, now you got to get your wallets out and like, oh man, we all, because you might not be prepared for that many to come available all at once. Right. I don't, I don't know who has 20 of these things anymore besides you guys, but there used to be a couple other guys. I saw there's this one guy at the expo in Toronto that had showcases filled with them. And but that was a couple of years ago already, but he had a lot of the, the rook, the, uh, you know, the non game worn, more of the uh, common rookies, you know, not as important player type of thing, but I'm sure it would be neat if you came across another horde of them. So you could add them uh, to the, to the, to your own horde. Right. So it was funny. You mentioned something last night, Justin, you said, you know, we, we entered into this and it's like a project that has like, we're, we're going into it with like three strikes against us already. Can you speak to what those three strikes are? And let's talk about kind of each one and, um, you know, why, why I don't think they're that big of a strike against you. So do you remember what they were? Sure. Yeah. So the, the three strikes uh, and, and Adam and I have talked to a bunch of people in the hobby and the three strikes are, uh, Number one, booklets aren't worth anything. And 
you know, over time we started going to shows and we're, we, that's what we start with. We go, do you have any booklets? Because, you know, you really don't want to just say, Hey, do you have any monumental patch booklets? Do you have any booklets? No, I just sold them all. And we went to three tables like that. And we're like, well, wait a minute. Things have changed a little bit. People are buying booklets. And that was uh, once an unheard, unheard of thing in the hobby is people don't like booklets. So at this point, I think it's a myth. And, and we debunked that at this point. And then uh, that so that's strike one. Strike two is there's no money in hockey. And <laughs> that's a laughable one because I think hockey people are just a lot more silent about it. And, and people with uh, baseball or, or NBA at this point are just really loud about their, their uh, prisms or something being worth 10 grand and stuff. And those transactions are happening in the background basically. And, and I think uh, that's been busted as, as well because there's definitely money in hockey. And I know there's a lot of passionate collectors out there just like yourself and us. So I, there's definitely uh, money in, in hockey, hockey cards for sure. And the third one. And then, <laughs> and then the third, third one is set collectors are dead. <laughs> right. And, uh, I think set collectors are very alive. And I think, that this is a time to shine because the internet has made it possible to go back and set collect uh, whatever you want. If you can't find it on the internet, Facebook groups, Instagram, Twitter, there are more than enough platforms out there that people are willing to show their cards. And if you pay the right price, they're willing to sell it to you. So if it is part of your set, it can be done. Yeah, for sure. It, you know, uh, set collecting is is one of the foundations of the hobby, right? It's what keeps a lot of people going. Like I, I collect very specific cards, just like you guys do. But then I have a couple sets that I collect to keep me interested. It keeps me looking on eBay all the time. Keeps me interacting with other collectors on Instagram, so uh, Facebook, whatever it is. It's just it's fun when you're doing it like this. It's funny because you're it's it's kind of like a hybrid. You're kind of you're not really collecting a set because you don't need every card that has the word monumental on it, but you're, you're more or less focused within a set versus, you know, the, the prototype or the, 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 the traditional set collector, someone who needs to get all 300 cards in the series. You guys are, are just going for the ones you love. I believe you don't want every card in the set because there's players that aren't important enough. I would, I would have to think there's rookies that never made it all that. Is that fair? Is that a, a, an accurate comment? Well, we turned down the Corey Perry. So <laughs> You know, not every single one, I guess, uh, fits our collection, but we are, I guess, we put our bias aside of like, I'll be straightforward as a Buffalo fan. We're not the biggest fan of Boston, but do I respect his talent as a player and all that absolutely belongs in the collection? Who? Uh, the two Boston players we have, well, three, I guess, the two that are up on the wall are Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy. Yeah. The Brad Marchand is a one-on-one signed monumental. The... McAvoy is out of six, but it's the Boston full patch. Right, right. Okay. So tell the story about the Patrick Wall. We had someone watching who said, I've never been, and no wonder I can't find one. Tell the story about the Patrick Wall, because I really enjoyed that when you told it to me uh, the other day. <laughs> so the, 
Patrick Wise is pretty much a dinosaur in this industry. Uh, if you find Patrick Wah cards, and I know a few uh, big-time Patrick Wah collectors out there, and uh, if you find a Patrick Wah autographed or a game-used stuff, it commands a high price at that point. And he's he's got very limited stuff. And we had uh, we have three of them now. And they're all from 1415. So we, we got all three from 1415, which make up the Habs logo. And then one of his numbers, uh, the three on there. And we had none a month before that, which is, that's, it's kind of funny because that's how it happened. It happened really fast. And it happened with, uh, with a few transactions as well but a lot of these cards are still sitting in cases. So thank God for all the box breakers out there that are pulling past years and everything, because we're, we're completely reliant on the secondary market right now. So, so people have to pull cards uh, for there to be a, a sustainable market. And I think the box breakers have done an awesome job of doing that. And everybody, uh, you know, most people they'll they'll accept a price for something if they don't collect it because they're getting a random slot. But we got one of the Patrick Waz, and we had known where the other two are, so we we had to make a deal very quickly on the one, and then kind of use that as ammo to be like, hey, I've been really wanting these cards. Would you sell them to me now? And he eventually accepted and we agreed on a price to complete the the trio of Patrick Waz, which was uh, a uh, cliche but monumental part of our collection to have Patrick Waz in there. For sure it is. But the, the cool takeaway there for me is that this other collector, I don't know who it is, you know, knew you guys were passionate about it, knew that you had one of them. And so he, you had one. He had two of them already. Is that what he you're saying? Two. He had two, and he was so instead of him going after your single, he made his two cards available to you. Yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, that's that's collectors helping collectors right there. When someone's, I mean, obviously, you got to pay for it, and you know, it's happened to me several times where you know, either I've acquired a card that way or I've uh, given up a card that way. And, and either way, you know, the, the money has to move because we're not in, we're not, we love these things, we don't, we, we, you know, we buy them, we cherish them. I know they're just cardboard objects but whatever it is i know i'm not alone everybody watching feels the same way right except maybe uh you're who, whoever's watching from uh let me just find her name here maybe doesn't love the cards as much as as all of us do uh sue <laughs> sue capone <laughs> <laughs> so okay guys um you you were doing other stuff before you moved to monumentals but you mentioned to me like you see lots of cards you like. How do you how do you just stay? Because all you're doing are monumentals. How do you not buy other cards when there's so many other awesome cards out there too? I think that's the most difficult part. Obviously, is is we all want to pick up things that we we basically can't have. But I guess you know when you love, I guess a set this much. When you see stuff like that, you let it walk right by because you understand that you know this the nature of this beast is some monumentals don't show up i mean we've gone three months silent 
you know, there is not one. And then all of a sudden three or four pop up out of nowhere, just like the Patrick wise, you never know what caliber they're going to be, how much price they're going to demand. So you really have to learn to budget to prepare for the future that may actually never come. I mean, we sat on monumentals that we've never seen. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a good tip for everybody out there, right? When you're, when you're, when you're focused, uh, you know, especially in something like this, it could get expensive. If that opportunity comes to, to pick up an, an important card or three or four at a time, if the funds aren't available, you're going to be pretty, you know, upset. You're going to be scrambling. Maybe that's a good segue, Adam, into, uh, tell us a little bit about kind of, you know, you got, I mean, money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, it doesn't grow on trees for me. It doesn't grow on trees for you guys. What have you done to, to, to be able to acquire these car these cards, which are not cheap? Like how, how have you, how have you, what have you done? Tell, tell the story. So I know it, I'm sorry. I just think it's hilarious. We'll, we'll go back to, uh, the full oil drop rookie of Connor McDavid is, you know, that's a moment in your collection, your life that I guess changes things. And that was the day that I guess we stretched a little bit out of our reach. And what I've acquired throughout all my years of, you know, on this earth is we know how to do uh, basically contractor work, everything. I found myself on people's roofs. I found myself replacing their doors, their windows. I put in air conditioners. I did everything I could possibly do to pay for the next monumental. So when people think that it, it's just about, hey, I go to work and I just buy these when they show up, I have literally adjusted my life work around them because they're that important to me and what they've done in my life. So, I mean, if anybody watching out there, I mean, we've all gone through it. We all think, we all sometimes kind of, turn turn the turn around and look in inwards at ourselves and think why do i do this why do i put so much money into these cards why do i obsess over them why do i spend eight hours a day on facebook instagram uh ebay com c hobby insider all you know blow out all these different places why am i spending all this time on these cars and it's true because we we just love them and we don't really know why we do but we do and you went as far as like picking up extra jobs just to pay for these cards, right? I mean, that I think that's that's just kind of funny. I, I think it's awesome. Um, okay, guys, let's go to a few comments that have been rolling in. I'm I'm way behind on them. Well, not way. We're about 15 minutes behind. So, want to welcome Name to the show, guys. Check out Name Indigenous Rookie Cards. He has an amazing uh, uh, Instagram account under the same name and a website called indigenousrookiecard.com. Check that out. It says, Jeremy, great to be here to watch these two awesome collectors. Also, you have ads on your videos. Yes, when you hit 1,000 subscribers on eBay, or sorry, on uh, on YouTube, you get ads on your channel. And uh, as as my buddy Carlos says, um, you know, that's going to pay for your double-double from Tim Hortons now, which is you know, <laughs> once a month, I'm going to get a coffee out of it. So thank you to you right. for that. Uh, Charles wants to know, do you guys, and just this is a yes or no, do you have the Chet Picard Monumental? No, we don't. Nope. He's not an NHLer anymore, right? So he's not someone that I think would, would get in there. LP Hockey Cards want to welcome you to the show. Carlos, the, speaking of Carlos, he says, you should have led with the Kaiser Soze story to ward off competitors. They wouldn't want to cross you then, that's for sure. I love that movie too. Kevin, I won't give it away. I won't give it away. But um, <laughs> I also want to point out to everybody, uh, check out, this is another one of my favorite channels on YouTube, also a friend of mine, because I'm Carlos. If, you're, if you like the hobby, and uh, you want to watch more than just my show, Sports Cards Live, 
check out uh, because I'm Carlos. He does uh, he does some great interviews and he does great uh, mail day videos and all that as well. Uh, I believe this is Rod who says uh, Kaiser Jose, were you guys looking for a Cup 0607 complete set about eight years ago? You were talking to my my partner Victor about acquiring one. I told him Kaiser Jose, he doesn't exist. Was that you guys? No, 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 no. And there's another Kaiser Sose. <laughs> well, it's funny because I told you guys last night that I had a handle somewhere sometime in the past. It was the same one. It was Kaiser Sose. I, it might have even been my Com C handle before I switched it. I don't know. But uh, I think it's a, I think there's a few people that use that out there, which, hey, why not? It's a, it's, it's a great one for sure. We'll take them out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Billy, Billy says, uh, uh, thank God Shanahan isn't afraid of, isn't in any of these. So no Shanahan monumental. They no. haven't done one for Mopper Dak. No, no, if they did. You'd have to go to battle with her. I'm sure. Uh, Ralph wants to know, he, J Ralph, you're not allowed to step out of the show, buddy. And if you did now, yeah, you did miss the Jagger and we're not going to show it to you again. No, I'm just, <laughs> you, didn't miss it. you didn't miss it. These guys have some cards they are going to show in a little bit for sure. Um, Tim says, you mentioned that you took time off from collecting, which seems to be a common theme for many of us right around the time we're in high school, college. Monumental is your thing now, but anything you grew up collecting that you cherish for sentimental reasons from your early collecting days? There, you might have to think about that for a second. Do you guys, anything come to mind? Randy Johnson rookie cards. Yeah, great picture. Okay. The big unit, the big unit for sure. <laughs> LP Hockey Cards wants to know, what is a Monumental? Well, you know what? This is a great opportunity. Why don't you show one now to show everybody? Because, I mean, they're all up there behind you. But a, a Monumental, it's a booklet card, meaning it folds and it folds into two. It's got two panels to it. Why don't you show one, whichever one you want? And uh, and Upper Deck, name the Monumentals. Grab the top one on the pile. Show your, show uh, your I'll, I guess I'll show my favorite because it has a little bit of a story with it as well. My favorite is actually... Can you see it well? Yeah, that's the Zach, Zach Wierenski. It's the Zach Wierenski full cannon patch. And the story that I have, and I'm sure actually a few other collectors can relate to this, is I do, I do fantasy hockey, and his rookie year, he was on the waivers, and I just started researching videos on this kid, and I'm just like, wow, you know, he he's legit. He's going to be a great defenseman. I picked him up on my team. I said he's, you know, most likely going to win a Norris someday. So when his monumental hit eBay one day, he it was it was over the price it should be. And I looked at him. I go, you, we got to do this. And he's like, well, I trust you because you've done your research on him. And this was well before anybody who knew Zach, Zach Wierenski, who even was. So to nowadays have the cannon and the, you know, back in the day sees that opportunity you know, that means a lot to me. And it's not about the highest value card. It's about the one that like, you know, you called, you saw the rookie, you watched footage on him, you know, you researched it. Yeah. You, you scouted the player, right. Mm -hmm. And now you have a chance to own one of his best cards that exist. That's, it's a feather in your cap for sure. No, no doubt about it. Want to welcome the personal finance dad, Dustin to the show. Another one of my, I don't mean, it's not like I want to just shout out all these YouTube. I do want to shout them out, but it's not the purpose of this really, but I'm going to take the opportunity because I love these other YouTube channels, guys. So the personal finance dad, um, I love it because he gets a lot of questions about, well, you're doing sports cards. What, what's with the name? And he'll say, because I do, I do cards, I do collectibles, I do some personal finance stuff sprinkled in. 
fact of the matter is of his 200 videos on YouTube, 198 of them are about sports cards. So Dustin, if you're, if you're still watching, uh, I, I'm just joking with you here, but check out his channel guys. And, and his videos are much more easy to consume than mine. They're right around that 10 to 15 minute mark. So a lot of really good uh, sports card content for anyone out there that's looking for, for more of that. I uh, want to say Will, hello again to Will. Loving the back display, guys. Personally, would have gone with the Buffalo Slug logo, though. And that's what makes us all different collectors, right? Wow. This is great. Rome Brand says, tell Adam I'm still yeah. wanting to buy my Idol Monumental set from him. I think you're wanting that, Rome, for the rest of your life. <laughs> Get that, please, guys. Any chance we can... Any chance we can swing a deal here for those... <laughs> I, I, uh, Rome has, you're breaking up a little bit. Oh, am I? Good. Okay. okay. Right. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. I was uh, saying, is there any, yes. any chance we can work out a deal for these dry sidle cards tonight? <laughs> no, 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 no shot. <laughs> No chance. I, I, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Uh, Jason says the Wierenski is awesome. I met him in Banff back in February. That's really cool. That's cool. Uh, uh, Dustin says, uh, true, true, Jeremy. Yes, sir. And we're good now. Thanks. I don't know what happened there. I guess I was uh, a little bit of technical difficulty. My my folks are in town and they're like playing bridge on their uh, on their tablets. <laughs> I'm just on the side of that wall right now. So maybe they're using up my, my Wi-Fi. Might have to might have to tell them to turn off their game. Okay, fellas. I want to also thank everyone who told me that the score was four to one for the Avalanche because I think I'm going to probably win my daily fantasy tonight because I even yeah. took uh, McKinnon as my captain tonight, which means you get extra points. Uh, but, uh, oh, I'm in second place. Beautiful. Love it. Okay, guys. Congrats. <laughs> let's, let's keep moving along. So you guys have all these cards. Like, what's the what's the dream for this? What's the what's the end game? What's the goal? What do you guys have in mind down the road? And you know, some it, the question was asked earlier about like, is this for retirement? Is it investment? Are you going to flip them? So, what's the dream for this collection, guys? I don't I don't think there's a real answer to that, Jeremy. Uh, you know, this this set came out in 2012, and I would say it's fairly new. And we've obviously had to do a lot of backlog on it from 2012. They are rare and we haven't gotten bored yet of picking them up. It's really an exciting mail day every time we pick one of these up and just having a blast doing it. I don't consider them investment. We've never really picked up a single card to say, hey, we're going to flip this in the future. I think they... They look great as one big uh, NHL quilt in the background, <laughs> yeah. and and that was that was the goal, I guess. Uh, the goal is to have a museum of these because uh, they look great on the wall, and I think they should all be together. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty cool. So you meant you know you think they should be like in a museum. So do you actually want to do something like that? Like, do you want to have these on display at some point in time, or is that museum basically? the card room in, in one of your houses sort of thing. So I, I think the main goal of calling it a museum is I, I guess we'll go into why we want to call it a museum is, you know, I have learned so much more about, I guess you could call them even vintage players up here just by collecting and, and understanding what team they came from. 
you know, what logo and everything. And especially with hockey, I think more than any other sport is you don't disrespect that logo. You don't step on it in the locker room. You know, that is what you play for in hockey. So to, to call this a museum, you're looking at a history of players. And I think through, throughout history, uh, sports has been a, a constant. And that's why I would consider it a museum. We all look to these athletes as, as to, to be better. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And I mean, you, you showed me a couple, like when you're showing like a beautiful Steve Eiserman, a beautiful Jagger, even the Ovechkin that I used to, to promote the show tonight, like it, they truly are museum quality cards. The monumentals could be called the museum collection if, if they wanted to, if Billy wanted to change the name or, or they could maybe do something, some sort of spinoff or something that way. Right. Um, Dominic LaRouche wants to know if you have any, any Kokaniemi of the Montreal Canadians in the collection. We have one. You do, hey? Yeah, we yeah. we picked one up. Right on. And he's, re- you know, I thought he wasn't going to be much, uh, but he's really starting to prove himself that he's he's going to be quite the player. So I know Dominic uh, collects him pretty heavily. Uh, Greg wants to know: Are monumentals the highest tier of hockey cards? And he says, "Sorry for the silly question, but I want to say, Greg, it's not the only. There, it's not a silly question. I, I'm known for saying it in my office. You know, the only dumb question is the one not asked. And um, so never, never." Never hesitate to ask a question. Um, are they the highest tier of hockey cards? I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on that, Justin? What, what do you think? It de- it depends, but, I mean, from what we've saw after the past seven years, typically even the lower-end players, these out-auction their, their rookie patch autos because of the rarity on them, and they are a centerpiece of the collection. So I guess uh, some of the... I guess you'd be surprised. Some of them we get better deals than others, but you know, some of them we have to overpay for as well for being a set collector and wanting them all to come to one place. Uh, it averages out over time, but I would say they're on the upper upper portion of hockey cards, especially being from the cup, because when people pull that box, nobody wants to give those cards away very very cheap. Let's say that. For sure. Adam, do you have anything to add to that at all? Yeah. So most of the time, then when people post them, they compare them to like, I guess they're shield. You don't really have anything else to go off of for a one-on-one. And most of the time they, they want to argue that this is better than their shield. And it's tough to tell them, yes, it is. But at the same time, like I can't value it as, you know, thousands of more than a shield, but it's something to go off of. So yeah. they, they tend to compete with that market. Yeah, for sure. Carlos says, I still think that's the shield cards, but there's room for debate. And for me personally, like shield cards, I think they're awesome. Don't get me wrong. They're awesome cards and they're centerpieces of a player collection, but they're the same over and over and over again, right? Maybe the different color jersey in the background sort of thing. Whereas these monumentals are, I mean, they're coming usually from the best part of the logo, the logo patch on the on the player's jersey. I mean, just look at all the colors behind you. If that was all shields, they'd be beautiful as well, but they'd all be like black and silver sort of thing or black and orange, right? So this allows you to add so much more color. And if you like the aesthetics of your cards, which I think we all do, um, those ones are certainly at the... I, I, I can't think... I mean, I sometimes don't even consider them cards, which is a whole other discussion. To me, they're booklets. A card is two and a half by three and a half inches. 
these booklets are bigger than that. They're they're oversized, if you will. They cards don't fold in half like those do. So to me, they're almost like uh, they're they're just sort of a different thing. They're they're booklet cards. I know I'm I'm kind of just kind of trying to figure this out in my own head as I talk through it. But let me ask you a question, Jeremy. What about a greeting card? <laughs> Still a card. <laughs> hey, you know what? You might have just uh, put my my whole thought process in, in in the garbage right there. So thanks for setting me straight. All right, let, let's move on. Chris West says, uh, "Who's the Sharks monumental on the wall?" Saw it on Twitter post picture before the show. Do you have a Sharks uh, Sharks player behind you? Logan Couture. Logan Couture. There so you go. a little bit of a backstory on him. He he loves Buffalo, so it, it's kind of a personal piece as well. Okay, that's cool. He loves the Grant, Bills. So Grant Patterson says it's it's sad to say, but monumentals are better than shields. He says I realized that after I saw their collection, and the reason why he's piping up is Grant Patterson may have the largest shield collection I've ever seen. I don't know if you're familiar with Grant or not, but he does. He does, right? Yeah, they're very it. familiar with Grant. It's, it's, it's amazing. It really yeah. is. No doubt. No doubt. Brian Kingsley, want to welcome you to the show as always. Thank you for joining us. Uh, sorry, Carlo says that, Graham, aesthetically you have an argument, but I don't think of them as cards. The booklet thing hurts it for me personally. And we talked about that earlier in the three strikes thing where you guys said, like, a lot of people don't like booklets or they don't collect booklets. And you're up against that. But when you're out there, looking for them these things get snapped up by player collectors pretty darn quick and carlos i'd have to ask you if you're if carlos collects mike medano pretty heavily one of the best american-born hockey players of all time and he, you know carlos if the mike medano became available would you not covet it for your collection i'd have to think that you that you would um <laughs> you can deny it carlos but i think you'd cover it one way or another and i know you're a bit of a completionist so uh, Chris West says, yep, Couture is a massive Bills fan. Paul Cashman, love the Bills and the drive for five. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. All right, fellas. So I'm just looking at my notes to see what, what I want to talk about next here. Um, yeah, Carlos says, I covet all of them. That's a low bar. Well, <laughs> of course, of course. And you know what? Like booklets are something that um, when they first came out, I was like, whoa, this is the best thing ever. And then I picked up a couple, not monumentals, but I picked up a couple of like Mark Shifley's in his rookie year. And it, the thing for me was displaying them was hard. And when I travel to card shows, so if they weren't in my personal collection, they take up a lot of room in the showcase. And I don't have a lot of room, extra room in my showcases when I'm set up at card shows. But when I look at what you've done behind you, it's like, how do you not love these things? And I mean, I've seen them, I've held them, I've, I've held that, I've held some of those on your wall in my hands. I've sold some to you. Right. I think they're they're pretty awesome as awesome as well. So, but you know what? You're right. When you talk about the three strikes, a lot of people just don't want them because they don't fit into that same four row box. But if all you're collecting are monumentals, they're going to fit into your box, right? Yep. Yeah, cuz they're all uniform for sure. For sure. Jared Vogel, welcome to the show. Wants to compliment me on your beautiful collection. Very nice, Jared. Okay, guys. So, I mean, we talked a bit about the competition uh in terms of being low key. Can you talk a bit about about a bit a bit about like the competition that exists for you and how you've been able to navigate it and where you've sort of found help in terms of finding these cards? Because I'm just thinking we talked a bit last night about this and where you know how you found the community to kind of get behind you on this. Who wants to take the question? I, I can I can take it. It uh, it starts with uh, putting 
putting the word out there a little bit. I mean, if you're looking for something, you obviously have to let people know that you're looking for it. And it started kind of small with us of like, you know, we went to the show, we go to tables and say, Hey, I'm looking for booklets. If you have booklets, like, Hey, do you have any monumentals? And then, you know, you kind of gain a rapport at the show, but online it's a little bit different and you need to be more specific where, with everybody on the communication aspect. And, and then from there it's, uh, it's auctioning on eBay and or people pulling stuff in boxes, uh, the group breakers and stuff like that. And it's not an easy feat because when you go to message somebody uh, after they just pulled it on a break, uh, <laughs> they're all they're all happy about it and everything. And even if it's not their player, it's still a very big card for them. And then they have five different messages coming in from different people. And you try, you have to not try and blend with that. You have to be like, Hey, I, I really want this card. And that's where the competitive aspect gets, gets really tossed around. And then uh, making sure that the number you throw is, is in that range, right? You need to be talking uh, before you can be buying. Yeah, you have to let the when a card that when a, when a card that other people covet is exposed on in a Facebook group, for example, and you want that card, you have to let the owner of that card know that you are the most serious of the five other people who are going to reach out to them. And the only way you can really do that is by putting a dollar figure on it that, that almost that they're not expecting. You know, like if they think the cards are fifteen hundred. You might have to say, I'm going to pay two grand for it, you know, or if you think that they, it's a game, right? It's poker. If you think that they right. think that they're going to get 1500, you might want to offer them 17 or 1800 to let them know that you're serious. Cause if someone else comes along and says, I'll give you two grand for it. They may say, well, hold on. I, let me see what this other, if this other guy wants to say, but at least they're going to keep you in the, in the conversation and not just sell it to some other guy who outbids you. So where that gets a little bit difficult too is when you expose your price and they're like, oh, well, thank you for your offer. And then a few hours later, they're like, well, somebody offered just at your point, what are you going to go? Well, is somebody actually there? You yeah. know, that's the tough part you have to decide as a collector of, are you just trying to squeeze me? Did they only offer just because I did? And is that, I guess, ethical to expose other pricing when you're trying to sell a card? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's a negotiation tactic a lot of people take, right? But they're taking the risk that you're going to say, ah, take that offer, then I'm out. Because you guys said earlier, you have your maximum. And I'm assuming it's your maximum on each card. It's like if a card comes up that you want to get for 500, but we'll pay nine, we'll, we'll go as high as nine. But that's it. After that, we're out. And if they say I got an offer for a thousand, it's like, hey, well, take it. I hope the guy loves the card, right? And good for you sort of thing. And I've done that many times on a, when I've been buying and someone, I think they might be playing games with me. Like, well, sell it to that guy. I'm out. I'm out. And and then if they say, and then they'll come back to you sometimes say, okay, he, he doesn't want it anymore. Do you still want it for your price? And it's really tough because you want to say, you want to stick them with it at that point. You want to say, no, I, I don't want it anymore. But, you know, or you say to them, well, I offered you, I offered you 900. Now I'm paying 750. So, you know, you, you, they take that risk as well. We usually stick to our convictions on that of like, if we're going to throw you, that's our max, that's our max. And, and then from there, it's like, if you want to go back down to that number, that's fine. But if not, cheers to the new collector, right? Exactly. You know what? And you have, you have to. 
Well, you have to. I've said it on recent episodes. When we miss, I miss out cards all the time. I put in my high, my, my highest bid at the last second. And if I don't get it, I'm disappointed, but I don't get it. But there's always more cards out there, you know? So here, Carlos says, absolutely correct. I think just about the negotiation. It says, I don't like playing games with deals. Yeah, we. It's I don't like playing games either. Like, let, let's just get the deal done. And especially when you're playing, when, when someone's playing you against another buyer, like it just... But sometimes if you need the card, you need the card, right? Especially if it's a really important one. If it's a, if it's not a fringe player, but if it's a Hall of Fame or a real important player. Uh, Tim Marin wants to know, do, you, do the guys at Dave and Adams have you on speed dial if they run across a monumental? And those guys are out buying cards all the time. Do they know you personally and will they reach out to you? They do. One of the buyers for DNA, we... Uh, We've befriended him. He he actually started out in the storefront, and we were pulling boxes, and uh, that's where we got a lot of our knowledge on the subject. He was he was very knowledgeable and a very very good guy, and I can I can see why he ended up in their buying department. Yeah. So when you go and in, you go into Dave and Adams still to this day, every so often. I mean, if 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 they're open during COVID and all that, yeah. Yep. yep. And do you ever see Adam? I know Dave's not a part of it anymore. Do you still do you see Adam in the shop ever? Not really. Not really. Okay. I'm just curious because he's he's the guy I'd love to have on the show with me. So if you were, I was going to say, hey, have a have a have a chat with him for me. I've met him several times. I've sold him thousands of dollars worth of cards at the expo, but I just don't. don't I don't have him on speed dial. I don't know if he likes us. <laughs> yeah, he may not. But he to give him a shout out for his business, the the person we worked with, his name's Tyler, and he was the first person that I guess, uh, you know, steered you in the right direction in the hobby. When you start getting into it, you're looking for that first person, I guess. I mean, you don't know the boxes. It's like, hey, where do I get the rookie out of? He was the first person to actually steer us in the right direction. Yeah, right on, right on. Card Currency says he got outbid on three different cards last night. Yeah, same here. At, at least one, and Nate McKinnon in particular, which I showed you guys. Ralphie says, when you don't win the bid, sometimes it means it wasn't meant to be, which I definitely agree with. Adam D wants to know, how do you guys prioritize what to pick up? Well, so you're only picking up monumentals. Do you even really need to prioritize or you just, do you just buy the ones you like when, you, when they come available? No, we do. We prioritize. So basically, uh, we've, we've gone back on every checklist from 2012, including the updates from the next year. They, they might add one in there basically as an Easter egg. And we do the quadrants, right. Of like, how much uh, do we need that card? Is the patch, is the patch there? Is the player, uh, uh, I guess someone that we really enjoy and, and really liked watching, uh, if not have the statistical credentials and then, you know, basically do we really want it? And we, we go through a couple of quadrants on it. And if it checks all the boxes, it's like, okay, we're a go. And then the last thing negotiating is price on it. Right. Yeah. I know it makes good sense to me. And, and availability. Cause a lot of them aren't, aren't available. I'll tell you that they, so you're basically doing you, you got you're basically doing a SWOT analysis on each card. When you talk about the quadrants, right? That's what I think about. You got yeah, this, and it's interesting because when you think about a SWOT analysis, you got strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So strengths and weaknesses are usually internal, and opportunities and threats are usually external. So 
the strengths, I'm, I'm just trying to think in my head how to how to make the analogy to cards. The strengths and weaknesses might be, you know, the card itself, the patch, the quality art, autograph, um, the year, the checklist. I don't know, the strengths, weaknesses of the card. And then the opportunities and threats may be the player behind the card. Is he still playing? Is he prone to getting in trouble, Patrick Kane? Is he, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know. I've never done a SWOT analysis on a card knowingly, maybe in the back of my head, not really understanding it, but it's neat that you guys do that. No, you, you'd laugh. We're, we're crazy. We, uh, we eventually took the checklist. We put it all in an Excel spreadsheet and we budgeted for the cards that we want. We go, all right, what potentially in the future is someone going to ask for this card? And then that's how we determined how to budget some of them. And if it's way below what we budgeted for it, we're like, well, it's a hundred percent a buy. We're adding this to our collection. We, we basically over budgeted it and we can pick up another one at this point. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Richie Barone, I can tell it's you says stop by my Islanders and let me have them. Well, <laughs> you got to step up and that's what, that's what happens when there's a, a collector out there or, collector brothers out there who are pursuing such significant pieces across all teams and all players is that you're you're you guys the Urschel brothers you guys are stepping on the toes of so many player collectors but at the same time if that player collector outbids you on a card they're stepping on your toes and I don't believe that anyone has a right to anything you only have a right to it if you're willing to pay more money than the next guy then you buy the right these rights are for sale they're not just given to you right so I mean, it's, but, but it, it's funny because people want them from you and you're not giving them up. I, it's, we only have one Islanders. All right. Just, just one. Who is it? It's John Tavares, but yeah, which he does. He doesn't watch. He's going to type in the comments. Now we don't, we don't need you. We don't need you. <laughs> He's going to do that for sure. All right. Let's look at a couple more comments that have come in. Uh, Yam says, sometimes you just have to hit the buy it now when a card is hot. If you try best offer, they often decline and then double the price. That that has happened to me several times. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. Good comment, Yam. Appreciate that one. Uh, Chris says, have you found any monumentals that didn't show up on any of the checklists? I guess some of them would surprise you and then you go back on the years and like they may have even added it two years. I mean, Tarasenko came out in the recent years. They put his his monumentals out and and what do you do there? You just go back and you're like, is this real? So the good part about being a collector of this set is you monitor it very closely. So you're always looking at the checklist. We're always looking at updates and everything like that. So are there any that didn't show up in the checklist? No because upper deck does update but did we not know about them yes yeah yeah makes sense makes sense uh richie says stop by oh i already showed that one there sorry uh uh here's a comment from Lindsay mickey Lindsay, welcome to the show the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist great movie by the way i have a lot of cards myself my dad played for the sabers where can i find out their value Lindsay, my advice would be go on to ebay and uh Search for those cards, and on the left-hand side, you'll find uh, a little box that says sold listings. Click on it, and it'll show you what cards have sold for. That's my my number one way to find out what cards are worth. So go check that out, Lindsay, and welcome to Sports Cards Live, episode number 42 with the Urschel Brothers. All right. Uh, Yam says, SWOT analysis. The CFO has entered the room. I'm a former tech COO, so I'm right there with you. It's always fun kind of applying 
you know, out, outside of the hobby knowledge to the hobby. Like, you know, we go, we go through school, we do what we do. If you can leverage anything outside the hobby to make you more efficient, more successful in the hobby in whatever way it is, hey, by all means do it, right? Richie says he owns the right to the Islander cards. Richie, <laughs> money, money talks, my man, money talks. <laughs> Joe, ah, where to go? Joe says sometimes the buy it now is your friend, which I certainly agree with. Karn Rye, welcome to the show, my man. Karn was my guest on episode number, I don't know, Karn, what was it, six or nine, something like that. A great episode. Go back and watch that if you'd like. Karn says, I'm guessing the budget was a lot higher on my, on my Matthews Monumental. That was a quick deal. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Karn. You maxed out. It, it, it was maxed. It was Mac. That makes Karn feel better. Although yeah. Karn's not the kind of guy who will, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't think Karn's the kind of guy that would mind leaving a few bucks on the table. Anytime I set up a card shows 15 years running now, and so, it really depends on the buyer. Like if a buyer comes to my table and they're instantly friendly and likable and chatty, you know, if, and they really love the card that I, that they want to buy from me, I'm willing to give them a better deal on it than I'm going to give the a-hole who comes in and isn't being uh, a nice person or, and I've had that before. I've had it to the point before where someone wanted to buy cards for me. And I, had, I actually said, no, I'm not selling you any of my cards. Even if you pay me my price, they're not for sale for you because I don't want my cards going to your home. Like it's, it's weird. We kind of look at them sometimes as our, as our children, as like, where we really love, not, mm -hmm. I love my children more than my cards, but you know what I mean? Like, that sometimes comes to play, but sometimes I just, I'm, will, I'm willing to leave money on the table. And I, I think Karn would probably be the same way. So to expand on that that comment with Karn a little bit is uh, the reason why that deal happened so quickly too is he's into the razzing. And when you put a card of that caliber, you know, let's say it, it belongs in our set, we tend to take it a little more personally when it's like somebody's going to go in and, you know, you know how razzes work. They throw their money in, they have a chance at winning it. And we didn't, didn't want to leave that up to chance. So you took all the spots. Yeah. Basically. Basically. I've done, I've done that too. Once, once <laughs> I've, I've said all, all because done I, want that once. Yeah. I want that card. No one else gets even a 10% shot at it. Right. There it is, just like I knew it would come. We don't need him. That's uh, my buddy Richie, just for me. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Chris West says, ah, the, the asshole tax. Yes, that's exactly right. No, this card is more expensive for you, sir. Uh, here we go. Agree. I raised the price $10,000 because I did not like the guy. That must be Rod. That must be Roddy speaking right there. I don't know who else carries cards. You can increase the price by $10,000 and it might not be like, you know, 10,050 now, right? Like, <laughs> here we go. Adam says, have you guys noticed an uptick in prices consistent with the overall market lately? Wonder if the Wondering if the base craze has bled into the more rare items. By base craze, he's talking about like the, the base Prism Lucas and Kawhi's and the, 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 the young guns, Connor McDavid's and Sidney Crosby's like the, the base card rookies that are, are all the rage right now. Have you guys noticed an uptick for what you're collecting? Well, I think that's actually a really good question. It hits a, it's a lot of points because it goes back to, uh, I guess, the 15-year-old collector you had on uh, last week. And, you know, we're, we're a little bit older, the mid-range, I guess you could call it. We've been working. You start to make money. And 
as far as talking about the overall market, we didn't do what we did based on prism prices. So I don't think the high-end market really is dictated by what you're doing at the base level. But do I think the base prices continue? Uh, I think it begins to level out for certain players. I think this is the first time we're seeing a market actually develop. So in the 90s, you could call it a card market, but I don't think it was actually a market. You know, People couldn't finish their sets. You couldn't find the card you were looking for. This is the very first time, I think, in the, the history of our market that you are able to complete everything. And I guess, you know, I say this loosely with such ease, you can yeah. go on eBay, you can go on Twitter, Instagram, you're going to find the card you're looking for. Right. I remember, I remember in the, in the, in the mid to late eighties and even the early nineties, a Bobby Orr rookie card was something, uh, uh, it was like, uh, you, you never saw them. It, it, you know, there was one, I remember I could find in where I grew up in Winnipeg, one store, he, the guy had it on his shelf, like kind of behind and in a, in a big brick. And it was like, whoa, it's a mythical creature, this Bobby Orr rookie. But, but nowadays with the, with the internet, you know, in making the, 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 the economy, the global economy, creating that global economy and giving us accessibility to cards all over the world and other items as well, obviously, like you said, Adam, it now we can, with relative ease compared to back then when you, you couldn't find these things because you didn't communicate with people all over the world in an instant. Um, now we can do that and it makes it a lot easier and it makes a card. I remember because back then a card out of five or 10,000 was very, very rare and limited. Now a card out of five or 10,000 is it's like, whoa, that's not even interesting at all. But cards that were out of five or 10,000 in the nineties are still very valuable because those were still needles in a haystack. It's, a whole other show could be dedicated to just that topic, I believe. Will Bennett, here's a great question for you guys. If they ever change the format for the for the monumentals from the current booklet to a single regular style card, would you still collect them? Huh. Well, I guess the, is what he's saying is almost like the premier mega patch. I, that's what comes to mind for me. Right. Um, so I guess the the biggest thing for me is the no signature. It's it's a little bit of a turn off on those cards is you know, I, I love the patch, mega patch. So that was the first thing we looked into because we started up the boxes, you get into premiere, and then you you pull a mega patch and you go, Whoa, this is pretty cool. And then you find out about Jay Jokish and you realize it's you're you're not as cool as you think with those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He ended up selling up a bunch of selling off a bunch of those to Matthew James Lee, who's been uh, peddling them for a while now, right? I guess, I guess if they could if they could form the entire the amount of game use that they put in the patch card right now with an autograph, absolutely. Yeah, they'd still be pretty cool, right? They, yeah. they look pretty maxed right now. So. Yeah. For sure. couple comments I missed from earlier. Dominic LaRouche wants to know, do you have the Kokaniemi next to you right now? If you do, maybe you could flash it. I'll let you guys work that work on that in the background. Joe says, uh, maybe the 70s SWAT TV theme song for the show, Jeremy. Yeah, I've never thought about putting a, a theme song to this show. I'm, I'm not too handy when it comes to intros and outros and videos, but uh, maybe I'll sure. buddy Carlos to give me some tips on that one of these days. So, And that, that would definitely be a counter. I, I can't. I can't think of that theme song in my head right now. I got to go listen to that now. But thanks for the idea, Joe. That's that's very cool. Uh, Charles says, yeah, some dealers are very aggressive in the price changing. I, I deal with it all too often. I think a lot of us do. 
Yamwax says, after Monumentals, what other type of cards do you guys collect the most of? So Yam must have missed the beginning because they don't, right? You only collect Monumentals, 100% strict only, correct? We have a couple other cards. We brought them. Um, they're, they're Stan Lee's. Yeah. So we have a so we have, we have Stanley's first auto and his rookie this is, card. This That's is it. what I would consider his rookie card, and because I'm probably the nerd of the group, I push to have a Stanley card in the uh, collection. Right on. Okay, that that that's a cool card. I've never seen that before. Actually, that's a really neat looking card. I like that a lot. Oh, Cody James, welcome to the show. Says, did the McDavid cost more than a Cup ninety nine RPA? Do you guys have a Mackenzie Blackwood? I'm sure it would be more than his out of 249 cup rookie card. Do you want to answer? It's it's comparable. Yeah, fair, fair enough. There, uh, there you go. I mean, yeah, these yeah. cards, these cards aren't cheap. They whether you like, I've said it a hundred times. Whether we like it or not, it's collectors. We are when you're dealing with money, and when you're getting to the high four digits, five digits, and this is all relative to everybody, but. You, you are investing, unless you don't care about money at all, you are investing somewhat, right? And we, I wanted to ask you guys this, your thoughts on that, like, and it's come up a couple times already, but not from this angle is, are you collectors or are you investors? Why don't you answer that question? I'm going to start with uh, the addition to that last question from Cody is it all matters on some timing as well of when you pick it up, if you're going to pick up the card in 10 years from now, when they're an established player, pricing changes, pricing changes yearly, if not like half yearly. So that was, we picked up that card at a very early time and it was very comparable to the RPA pricing. At that time. I remember when the RPAs first came out, they were doing fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars. Is that kind of the general area you're you're speaking to? Now they're 30 and up. So yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. I kind of kind of thought so. So back to collector versus investor, guys. Are you are you guys collecting these cards or are you investing in these cards? And if it's a mix, which which side do you lean closer to? Yeah, I'd say it's it's definitely a mix because you you hit on that of like anytime you're spending this kind of money, obviously you can't just expect to throw away that that money. But did we ever intend to set out to be investors or super collectors? Like none of this was ever really like you saw this happening. So collecting always came first. We never picked up a monumental on eBay anywhere. You know, that was always our thing. We'd tell them even of like, I don't resell these. Like we truly collect them well before any sort of investment and truly we're, we're blessed in our life to not have to sell these at the moment. And, you know, we, we've changed our life around. Like I've said, I've taken jobs just to make sure that, you know, everything's good in life on top of that so that it stays a collection and not an investment. So talk a little bit about, you know, cause you guys do this together. I, I collect alone. My cards are my cards. I don't share them with anybody. Most people I know are, are that type of collector. You guys do this together. How does that work? How do you collect with a family member? Uh, and like, do you guys agree on everything all the time? Do you just trust each other? Are there ever any kind of disputes or I want it, I don't want it? Like, so does the one, do one of you just go buy it for yourself? How do you navigate those issues? 
Absolutely. We don't agree on everything, I guess, uh, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. And, and some stuff that is like, that's on that borderline, we will have to communicate about for maybe maybe days, if not a week. Uh, if it's still there, we're still talking after that of, you know, do we really want it? And, uh, you know, we could probably sway some sides at points, but, you know, most of the time, uh, it is a conversation. Uh, most of the cards, it is a conversation. Some are obviously we're both on board and we're like, okay, that's, that's definitely on our list. But if it isn't on our list, our little black book, I guess, of, of monumentals that we want to pick up, then we're definitely having a conversation about it. Yeah. And so Whose cards are they? Like you guys. So if you buy a card and that card is $1,000, do you both put in 500 each time? Are you down the middle on this collection? I would say it's it more heads down, down, down the middle, but it's not entirely about the money in this collection. The amount of work that gets put in on the side of, you know, there's points, you know, whether somebody's out of town working, whatever, somebody's always working, let's say on eBay, you know, somebody's always monitoring the market. And I guess that's invaluable when you're doing this yourself. And let's say a card sold and you're like, well, I would have paid him more, but I just wasn't at the table at the time. You know, we don't let that happen and having collecting as two people. That, see, that's probably the best benefit of all of it is that you've got two sets of eyes, but I'll tell you something like, there's so many awesome people in this hobby that will, and you, you've, you guys have definitely experienced this too, that are also out there keeping a lookout for you. They know what you love. I get people sending me messages all the time. Hey, here's a card you might be interested in would send me the link to eBay or the, or the link to the Facebook post sort of thing. Um, so even though I don't have a brother doing this with me, I have the community looking out for me as well. I guess you guys have the community looking out for you as well but you also, you, you're almost like tripled up. You've got a third team member being each other. Whereas I have me in the community, you guys have both of you and the community. So kind of, that kind of, I hope that made sense. It's, mm -hmm. it's really enjoyable to do that as well. Cause uh, it keeps us in conversation about the hobby. So, you know, you get to even monitor cards because we're so narrow in what we're collecting that we're always looking at other cards. And yeah. including multiple sports. So, right. and let's be real, the, the hobby can be uh, a frustrating place at times, especially if you're dealing with the wrong person and to have a soundboard, like, like a brother, you know, you get through that uh, frustration a lot easier and you focus more on the hobby and collecting rather than what's happening in this certain deal. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, you guys are fortunate to have each other and to be able to enjoy this, awesome hobby together that we all love right it's uh you know i've got i've got all my i've got my my group of friends you know that are that are not in the hobby i've got a ton of hobby friends and I, I love them all but i've got my other friends and you know when i'm hanging out with them and they're always like hey so what's going on it's like work's going good kids are good my got my got my show now i'm having fun with it and and, and i love my cards can i tell you about my cards you know so we want to <laughs> talk about it and i'll tell you for a lot of my friends, they're willing to let me talk about it. And they all, I always say, I'm like, come on, you, you want to hear this? Are you not getting bored? Like, no, you love this. Like, like you're so passionate about it. It's, it's exciting to hear you talk about it, even though they don't really care about cards that much. It's, 
it's kind of it's kind of fun. If you love something, other people are going to be drawn to you talking about it. I think, and uh, just one of the benefits of the hobby, it brings us all all we're all you us three. We're all like minded, right? We can get along. We could hang out for weeks on end. I'm sure if there right. wasn't uh, social distancing in place and distance between us, right? But that's why the going to the expo is so important and such a big part of the hobby and the national in Chicago or Cleveland to to get together with each other and really enjoy the community that the hobby offers. Go ahead, Justin, or Adam. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Very fair. So listen, let's, let's totally change gears here because I want to talking about what the hobby offers. And I, I talked about this in kind of on, as I sort of promoted the show tonight that the hobby, you know, has been somewhat life changing for you a little bit. I think Adam, more you than Justin, uh, and you you taught you told me quite a bit about that last night, last night, and I found it pretty fascinating. Can you speak to what you meant by that? How has the hobby helped you as a person? Uh, so I wouldn't be caught dead on a podcast like this quite a few years ago. I, I mean, this would this would be terrifying to to talk about this stuff. I, I'm naturally an introvert. You know, quite a few years ago, it's like, yeah, I'm labeled as the hermit crab. I like to stay in my house. I, I don't get out much. Let's be real. He was the first one to see McDavid. I had to follow. And what this hobby has done for me, and and I don't think it's taken lightly. I think it is absolutely life-changing for what it's done for me. My work ethic has increased as far as, you know, paying for these cards, financial responsibility. And I think the biggest part for me was communication with people. Because not only did I start to communicate with people in the hobby and start to, I guess, come out of my shell, meet people at shows, you know, talk to them. And it was comfortable because we all speak the same language. You're, you're, you're not a foreigner to them. You're just a card collector. And we, we can all relate to that. And that's something that starts to, I guess, spill into the rest of your life. So on top of even taking more jobs, I had to introduce myself to more clients. And then all of a sudden you're talking to more people and the whole thing just becomes more natural. Just interacting with, with customers, clients, people, wherever you happen to be, right? Just, it's, it's pretty cool because, you know, I've, I've, I said on the episode with, uh, or the, the, the after hour show with Charles on Saturday night, I said like the hobby the hobby itself is a mentor, which is, I don't know if I love that statement so much, but I think, you know, the hobby itself provide, it can provide so much education for anybody, it, not just education, but life skills, really like, you know, negotiating and analysis, SWOT analysis, SWOT, doing SWOT analysis, right? Um, but being able to negotiate with somebody, being able to stand your ground, uh, being able to, you know, being, being comfortable to make an offer on a card that may be lower than the price tag. Not everyone's comfortable doing that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's many other things that are just not popping to my mind right now that are, that are beneficial to us as, as just as humans uh, and helping us gain a little bit of uh, some life skills, like school of hard knocks kind of thing. If you're, if you start collecting when you're at the age of like Charles and Greg, who are likely watching right now and they're 15 years old and they are out there dealing with, sharks like us and i i don't mean that we're sharks but you know what i mean seasoned veterans in 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 the hobby um they're gonna be that much better off when they enter university they enter the job market they start looking for jobs they're gonna have all this negotiating dealing money experience that 
a lot of kids don't have. And the hobby offers that. I'm sure there's other hobbies that hobbies that offer it as well, but none are as great as this one. I'm, I'm completely biased, but none are as great as this one to do it. And there's just so many opportunities uh, to to develop your 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 life skills in the hobby. Um, so I think it's cool for you, Adam, that it, you know you say you were the introvert, the hermit crab, and now you are you know you're out there flourishing in your career. You said to me last night that now you're out there hustling hustling uh, air conditioners up and down the street so you can buy more monumentals. Well, in the past, you wouldn't really maybe felt comfortable ringing a doorbell because you don't know what's on the other side. Is that fair? Absolutely. Uh, it's just become a lot more comfortable at this point. Having having dealt with people, you're like, well, you're just another person, basically. I, I guess we we over, we tend to overthink things sometimes, especially as introverts. We're 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 worried about judgment and the hobby. Very rarely, I guess, you'd come across someone that wants to judge you. I mean, everybody's in this for the same purpose for their collection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, most people are in it. Several people are in it for, for the same purpose, our collection. Guys like us that are collectors. Yeah, we're in to collect. There are people that are in it to, to flip, make a quick buck. We're seeing a lot of new people come into the hobby. And hey, I, the more people in the hobby, the better from my perspective. And I don't really care why you're in the hobby unless you're in it to commit fraud. I don't want you in the hobby. But if you're in the hobby and you're pouring money into the hobby and you are enjoying it and you like sports, I think, you know, with during the whole pandemic thing of course with sports not being played there's no gambling a lot of people who couldn't gamble this has been an, an like an eye-opening alternative to them and say hey i can gamble on players but at the end of the day i still have something at the end of the day it's not just win or lose it's it's win or lose but have something left to show for it at least which you can't really do at a casino I don't know if anyone else can else can relate to this, but sometimes, you know, obviously you're watching a game or something and you set up your cards almost like a little shrine and, you know, you're you're rooting for them that night. I'm sure some other people can relate. <laughs> yeah. I remember doing that during like the Olympics and that, uh, you know, taking taking out a card of each of the Olympians and looking at those and cheering for them. And then, you know, you got Olympians. Right. And this is when I mean, the NHL players were playing in the Olympics. Uh, here's a hilarious comment from my buddy Carlos. He says, speak for yourselves. I'm here for the fame, fortune, and cold brew coffee. That's why I love his channel, guys, because I'm Carlos, because he's just got a, a wit about him that I can only dream of having. Thank you, Carlos, for putting a smile on my face with that comment. Okay, fellas, I mean, I think we've covered off most of the stuff um, that I want to talk about tonight. Is there anything else that comes to mind for you? We could talk a bit about the expo itself, the Toronto Expo, because you guys are in Buffalo, New York. Typically, guys who live in the States are going to be collecting baseball, basketball, football. You guys are focused on hockey, which means that the Toronto Expo is an important card show for you. How do you feel it's important? What do you? How, how important is the Toronto Expo to you guys as collectors out of Buffalo of monumental hockey cards? Well, we, we love it. I mean, I, I was the first one to, I guess, uh, scout the territory. And that's when I met you uh, the first year that I went. And I absolutely loved it <laughs> and obviously had to report back and say, hey, you got you to gotta come with me and, and scout out this show because – I did not allot myself enough time at the show and I really enjoyed talking with dealers at the show 
And it's not just cards there either. Like there's memorabilia pieces. There's there's a whole array of, of weird stuff that you can find, which is, it's really neat. And including pepperoni. In, yeah. Including pepperoni. <laughs> knives. Uh, <laughs> If you're if you're into the collecting of knives and and the memorabilia portion, I remember seeing a Jerry Cheever's mask that was uh, a game used mask there, and I was like, you know, I would totally buy that right now if yeah. I had my if I had a partner to be like, should we buy this right now? Because uh, it's it's really fun to go around and talk to the different uh, dealers at the show, and I actually. You know, I love looking at cards and, you know, consider if I was buying something at a show other than monumentals, it would stay with me for the rest of time. And I would not be looking to flip anything that I was at the show for. So, so we've never come back from a national without a monumental. So I guess it's a little bit true of like, if they don't have it at the national, it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. So, so then the, the national, not the expo, Adam, you mean the national? Well, I guess I would consider this the national for hockey, but the first time we are planning on going to the national show, this next one. Okay. So, so, so you, but, but just to be technical, you've never left the expo without a monumental. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's great, but yeah, you're right. If there are, if there are monumentals or any rare card that's available, I shouldn't say any, but you know, a card like that where they make dozens of them each year, you're gonna find them. If you're gonna find them anywhere, you're gonna find them at the expo. That's that's for sure, right? The expo or eBay, they're probably the two most uh, widely used places for people to sell cards. Com C's up there as well, but you don't see as many kind of monumental type cards on Com C. But uh, awesome cards there too. Um, Will Bennett says, "I miss the expo not just for the cards, but the time spent with hobby buddies." And only get to see you only get to see maybe twice a year and the pepperoni. Yeah, I know. Will, Will, Will comes in. Will Will lives in the Maritime provinces, and he comes out. He comes to the expo usually. Uh, I think Will. I think he comes to the fall expo. You, you and uh, Dean try and make it out there, which is pretty awesome. Always good to see you guys. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Um, we've talked about everything. I'm looking at my notes. We've talked about everything I had written on my notes and my, my notes were pretty heavy for this show. Like, you know, like pretty heavy there. Um, usually they're not that densely filled in and on my page. So we've covered it all. Anything else, anyone out there watching, if you have any questions, comments for the fellas here, anything in general, uh, now's your chance to, to post it up. And I'll just mention if you guys, again, if you're watching, you're new to the show, I call it sports cards live. This is episode number 42. We started up in April and uh, the episodes, they last about two hours long each. The guests I have are all amazing, going right back to, to the first episode. So please check those out. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not yet. Please, please feel free to hit the thumbs up button on this video on YouTube. Leave a comment down below on the, on the YouTube video. All those things apparently help the YouTube, um, the, 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 what's it called? The equation, the, uh, the algorithm and, um, and I don't know how it helps, but apparently it does. And there's now ads on the channel here, which makes me enough to buy a cup of coffee every month, apparently. We'll learn more as that goes. So hey, it's nice to get something out, out of all the time I put into this, even though I love it and I do it for free, that's for sure. So any final words from you guys? Uh, just to extend on that, 
if you if you're in it for the money and you're going to keep a timesheet on yourself, you're going to be severely disappointed <laughs> because I'm pretty sure all of us have spent more time than what what we may be worth at that point. And uh, it's all in good fun because we all really love it. And, and it really uh, it keeps you motivated in that aspect because we all really do love it. So, you know, and, and on, to, to build on that, like during this whole pandemic, um, I don't know what I would have done without the hobby. And then adding this show as a as a part of the hobby for me, like it's really kept me excited through all this it's kept me busy it's you know in addition to a full-time job and a family it's kept me just i don't know happier more excited about about everything like it, it's just been a, a gift if i can call it that so you know the hobby is is something to get us through tough times it's it's what people and if you think about it the the hobby itself has taken off during the pandemic. And I think a lot of it is because it's what makes people happy. And there's so much, you know, unhappiness going on out there. People are losing jobs. People are getting sick. People are dying. Never mind all the other issues going on around the world, you know, with the racial issues going on. I mean, there's people are hurting, people are sad and it's a, it's a tough time right now. And the hob our hobbies are what keep us kind of, they let, they let you kind of just forget all of that for a period of time, have some me time, have some time to just be happy in the hobby. And I think that's what's driven a lot of the, these, uh, the value changes that we've seen lately. Did, do you guys, uh, any comments on that? Oh, absolutely. And to touch on what you started, I, it's very, we look to you because we were all looking for a guiding light in the industry. Nobody's really talking about this stuff. Where's the industry heading? And to be able to get your guests on from, from Ken Golden to Beckett to the 15 year old on Charles. It's like, you know, what's, what's going on in the hobby. I think that's so important to get every level, not just the top or the bottom. We're all looking for a little bit of guidance. We're putting our money in, we're putting our time in and we go, well, well now what? So I really thank you for, for starting this. I know it's not easy, but uh, it's been a pleasure to watch. Oh, I, I appreciate that. It, it, it's 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 a lot of time. I love it though. I wouldn't I wouldn't stop. I wouldn't give it up or take it back. That's for sure. It's uh, it's definitely been a blast. And you know, the guests that I've had on are, you know, it's a great opportunity to present to, to give them the platform. Like we've had on four different people from Upper Deck, two different people from Leaf Trading Cards, one person from Panini. We've had on Beckett. I've got someone from PSA coming on event in October. Like I've hit. You know, lot, lots of the different, two different auction companies have been on the show already. Um, I could go on and on. Like if you look at the the different the episodes that live in the in the library on the YouTube channel, it's I'm impressed just looking at it. It's weird to say, but it, it is like I, I'm pretty proud of it, actually. So and there are a lot of good resources. So I thank you for recognizing that and for acknowledging my my, my hard work. That, that means a lot. So thank you guys for that. Chris Wetz wants to know, did either of you collect as kids? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it wasn't fair for me being the younger brother. <laughs> <laughs> Justin got all the good stuff. Adam got all the all the yeah. unknown players, oh, right? Actually, combined forces, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nice that you did for sure. Chris also has noticed the Stan Lee earlier. What are their thoughts on sketch cards? Do you have any thoughts on sketch cards, guys? Um, 
So my thoughts on sketch cards go into, I guess, the hobby's growth of like, I think it's incredible that they're bringing artists into this. I love that fact because especially with Stanley and Marvel and, and that end, I, I do watch a lot of the sketch cards. I haven't purchased any, but they're very interesting because I think supporting that end of the hobby, cards are art. So to let these artists, I guess, portray themselves on a card, 100% support it. Yeah, and we're seeing that in the Tops Project 2020 right now, too, with the baseball crossover, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Tim Marin says, go Bills. Uh, Legion Italia, a very loyal viewer, says, can we get a closer view of that amazing display? Um, why don't we do that? Why don't you guys, why don't you show some cars, even lift up the, the laptop if you want? And sure. Yeah, if you want to give us a yeah, let's go down the list of them, we can do that. Yeah, let's see the cards. Do you so pick it up? And here, here's a couple that we have right here. Um, this, uh, Ray Bork. Unbelievable. This one's a, this one's a favorite. Yeah. Deservedly so. And then, uh, here's a Novechkin. This, it. this, uh, also added to the steam. This was early on. I uh, picked that up before he won a cup. So, it was obviously a risk that we posed uh, picking up that card at the time. But you would have wanted it anyway, right? He still goes down as one of the greatest goal scorers of all time, if not the. Yeah, that went into the factor. We we're like, all right, we probably want it anyways, but we're, I guess we we're arguing over pennies at that point. Um, yeah, you you got to have it. And then uh, this is the centerpiece of what we have. This is the Wayne Gretzky. They only, they only have one of them. And. And he signed it twice. <laughs> Thank you, Wayne. I wonder if it cost Upper Deck two autographs for like <laughs> they paid by the autograph, right? I wonder if they had to pay him twice for that, or if he gave them that one for free by accident, sort of thing. Yeah, I think I think he accidentally signed it signed it twice. He didn't open it up because uh, of that whole thing. Booklets aren't cards, right? <laughs> yeah. He's just signing just cards. Right, right, right. Any more you have to show? I think we can get a little bit closer yeah, on the, yeah, let's see the, let's give the, the audience a, a better view of the cards behind you there, guys. Oh, you froze on us. They froze on us. I wonder why. I wonder if they lost their, if they are unplugged or what. I'm going to say Ernie Rondo, they don't, they're not chasing anything right now except for the monumentals. So uh, just the monumentals, no non-sports cards. Paul says the easiest way to make a small fortune in cards is start with a big one. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, you're back. You're back. All right. There we go. I think it was because okay, I think it, it was because we moved. No problem. Oh, you're frozen again. Cody James, want to say yep. thank you for tuning in. Appreciate the comment. Legion, great insight. Enjoy the perspective of the high-end collector. Thank you, Legion. Appreciate that so much. Joe wants to arm wrestle you for the Gretzky. I think you'll have to arm wrestle them and pay them like $50,000 probably if you want that and win the arm wrestle. And you'll have to go against both of them at once. Four arms versus once. So there you go, guys. There's a view of some of their... Uh, Wow, like you see the you see the Yeti foot Colorado piece. You see the Ottawa Senators had all the oil drops. All the oil drops, the big letters, the palm tree from Florida, the Stanley Cup, the the, the the player holding up the Stanley Cup, amazing. The Penguins, the 
Capitals, the Bruins, the Devils pieces up there at the top. Swing back the other way, guys. Yeah, let's see more on the far end there. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome cards, guys. <laughs> Legion says, wow. Yeah, it's truly, look at those uh, those Red Wings pieces at the bottom. You have the whole the whole wheel and wings there. You got the whole Oilers logo. That's all dry sidle there. Unbelievable collection. And that's only 78, I think they said, that are up on the board. And they've got like 120 altogether. So there's another 40 cards in the collection besides what you see up there. Correct. There's uh, there's there's seventy seventy eight of them up there, and, yeah. And that's that's kind of how we we did our SWOT analysis on the, on the cards. Is if if you're going to see a an eagle from the Capitals on there, who do you want to see? Alex Ovechkin. No doubt. And we kind of took that mentality throughout all of the players and collections. Um, and that, that's how we went after all the patches as well as are, are you the true collector? If you don't have those players in your collection, we wanted to have them in there and didn't want to disappoint. So, yeah, no. And good decision. I, I think a good decision. I think the, the Ovechkin was a no brainer, you, you know, a no brainer that that's a serious piece. The Iserman's amazing. The Bork is phenomenal. It goes on and on and on. Great collection, guys. Thank you for uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your collection. Thank you for sharing your stories, both of you. Some really, real interesting stuff. The one that, you know, I like I said before, I bring on a lot of people from like the work in the industry that that's what they do, whether it's Upper Deck, Leaf, Beckett, PSA, wherever, uh, auction, you know, Golden Auctions, Iconic Auctions, all these different places. But I know that the audience really likes to hear the hear and watch these viewer these collector episodes because you're you know we're all we're all collectors and it's nice to see it's just nice to meet more people that are like minded. Never mind being at the show. This is another way to do it while we can't go to shows. But uh, it's just it's it's awesome. It's awesome. And you know next you know I hope what happens is you're cruising around the expo next spring and collectors come up and say, Hey, we saw you guys on sports cards live. That was awesome. My name is such and such. And now, you know, you're just making more connections and meeting more people and growing your network and, uh, and growing your enjoyment of the hob of the hobby. Here's a really fun uh, comment from Joe, the Sistine chapel of hockey cars right there behind you. Yeah. Okay, guys, parting words from you. And then we're going to, we're going to call it a night. Hey, thanks for having us on, Jeremy. Really appreciate it because, uh, you know, obviously we've been watching the show since you started. And since I first met you, I knew you were a knowledgeable guy when everybody at the show is coming to your booth. And I was like, well, you have you also have some cards that I want to buy. So this is obviously the stop. And uh, and it's been really enjoyable to see you there at the at the expo every year. And hopefully we can continue so and appreciate you having us on the show. Yeah, well, my pleasure. And I and right back at you, I, I hope to see you guys at every single expo there is from now on and, and even the national. I mean, you never know. You might find a monumental, the national that just never makes it up to the expo in Canada, right? Right. So, Adam, anything, any parting words from yourself, sir? No, I just wanted to thank you again. I mean, my journey has been incredible and this is, this is absolutely a part of it. This is, I, I know I used the word uh, last night when we were discussing, but uh, empowering it, it's, right. it's been an absolute pleasure to feel, you know, when you hold a card of this caliber or you're able to change your life this much, it's, it's absolutely empowering. 
That that is uh, that is really inspiring, uh, and I want to just uh, right here. Yamwax is honestly inspiring, guys, to continue our own focused collection. So you're already you're having an impact. So I thank you for that, Elizabeth. Glad to have you watching. Says great show, very insightful. Thank you for tuning in, Elizabeth. Carlos, great show, gentlemen. Thank you, Carlos. Paul, good show as always. Thank you, Paul. Nick says great show. I had to clean up. Puppy Peaks, I wasn't prepared to be here for so long. That's the first time I've heard that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, hey, same last name, possible relation. That's that's my brother. That's your other brother. All right, right on. Nick, thanks for watching to you as well. Okay, guys, everybody watching, thanks as always for tuning in. Thank you to the Urschel Brothers. This has been a lot of fun. Really a great episode. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You guys are awesome. I, I'm so glad you're in the hobby. Everybody else, um, and want Legion, thank you for the round of applause. Everybody else, we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll be back again on Saturday, and then again on Saturday late night with the After Hours show. So thank you, everybody, for watching. We'll see you all next time. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, please do hit that thumbs up button, leave a comment, all that wonderful stuff. Greg, thank you for tuning in again. Sue, thank you for watching. Greg and the brothers, to the brothers as well. All right, good night, everybody. You guys wait right there, okay?